I was just a brittle stone Buried in the earth alone Wondering if I'd ever leave the ground Then one day a passerby Welcome to Tin Pod Radio If you hear some weird noise in the background, it's my geese. And they're kind of cranky because we went for a walk, so we were like half an hour later letting, you know, putting them to bed than we normally are. Are geese kept inside or out? They're outdoor animals, but I let them sleep in a big kennel in the house at night because they're spoiled. I'm hoping when they get older I can train them to go sleep outside, but in the meantime it's cold and they're very spoiled and they're only like six months old. Yeah, we had to take one chicken to the vet and that was like a whole sweet adventure. Probably have to go to a special vet for that, don't you? Well, yes, luckily I live very close to a major veteran um, college, so there's, like, you throw a rock in Sacramento, you hit, like, 20 really good vets. So there's, like, four different vets that I can get chicken to if I have to. Like, oh, the Bird and Pet Clinic, Madison Avenue Vet Clinic, you take them to see Davis. There's a lot of, like, one of my birds only, like, six months old hatched her out of an egg or well okay the hen did but she had this like growth on the side of her checked online and one of those things a million things that could possibly i'm like i'm in over my head i made an appointment we get her we have to catch her the night before because she's not really well socialized and so i had to yank her off the perch and shove her to a carrier to the vet the next day and we get into the vet and the tech is there trying to do the assessment and we're like okay let's pop the top off that you can pick her up and put her on the scale to weigh her so we get the top off as the vet tech goes to pick up our chicken takes off and flies straight up in ceiling tiles knocks the thing off of her face and then lands on the scale so the vet tech was like oh well then here's the thing where's that thing oh that's it on the floor well i will show this to the vet right away so it turned out it wasn't a deal it was like they think it was a healed abscess. It was basically like a big scab. So they gave us antibiotics on her back home. That's good to hear. Baby straight in the ceiling, knocks it right off. It's you know, like, of course. <laughs> Do it all we can to shine a light. Uh, we were talked about talking about uh, Master Gardeners. Yes. So when it comes to the Master Gardener program, I... I only know a little bit because at my girlfriend's library, they've had master gardeners come in and do some things, but you know a lot more than me, so if you want to start talking about that and what you, no. how you got introduced to it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, so basically, like, fifth years ago, I got hired to be a web developer department at an extension office at UC Davis called Agriculture and Natural Resource. It's A&R. And it's kind of an umbrella program for a lot of, like, a lot of stuff that interacts with ag throughout the whole state. And it's also the head, like, I don't know if headquarters the right, but I I think it was basically, like, our department contained leadership for master gardeners, master food preserve, 4-H, 
and California Naturals. That was it. So we worked really closely with a lot of those departments. And then like one of the things that I did was prepare um, training guidelines. Like I worked with a PhD who specializes in citruses to come up with all these online training courses for how to identify different and treat them. But we also were gardeners. The the um, programming department that I was in, our shop handled their volunteer system is how people who are like the way master gardeners is they will train you for free. And all they want you to do is volunteer a certain of volunteer hours on different projects. And that's kind of like how you pay back your. So the system that we make to track people's volunteer hours. And then my dad also through the master gardener program after he retired and worked with them for a while. Like his, a lot of people do master gardeners. I think it's sort of like a broad knowledge base, but then people focus their passion. So like my dad's heirloom tomatoes, that's his thing. He loves growing. And a woman that I worked with, her specialty was roses. So she actually was able to parlay her training and knowledge to a small, I guess like a rose management company where people would pay her to come out and prune and manage their roses for them every year. So is the Master Gardener program an independent program or is it like some government funded program? I think it's government funded. I'll have to check because a lot of the programs that we worked with were they pay, their pay came grants different grants that would apply for yeah but then i think some of these that had a lot of you know like economic value or social value would also be covered with government stipends but i i'd have to check because the way a lot of the stuff a and r worked depending on the department they would have like multiple funding uh it seems like a program it's very much there for almost any group to get information from is that one is what i'm thinking correct Yes, I think so. Because they're in, I believe there's a master gardener program just about every single state, and they're geared toward educating people in the general public. They, they're they trying to make that knowledge accessible to people as possible. How have you personally like uh, been affected by the program? Oh, boy. I mean, it's one of those things where one of these days I would really love to have the time and energy to actually go through the courses and stuff. But for me, I was mostly like the back end service where <laughs> would be all upset, figure out some on the website or the website would have a problem, like fix all the bugs, try to improve usability. So I basically got the customer service. Uh, well, think about it from your end when you was doing, like, let's say, the website or something like that. What do you think from seeing your experiences doing some of the customer service when it comes to something that's not a web thing it's 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 an actual nature thing do we fall short sometimes in making those work together you think i don't think so like just based on my experience with master gardeners it's a lot of the passion is trying so hard you know like they really want to get the information out there for people and they may not always have a ton of money or resources, but they try to do the best they can with what they have and they're really geared toward making their stuff, like I said, like making it accessible for the general public. You know, they'll do projects like putting in public gardens or maintaining public gardens. I know one of the volunteer things my dad did, did an heirloom tomato demonstration to try to get Peter nerd out on tomatoes. Or they would bring like 20 different varieties and chop them all up and try them out. Uh, when it comes to like master gardeners, and, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, like I think. One of the greatest things is it's just the volume of information you can get and you don't have to go through many price points of like having to learn it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's definitely a big thing. One of the other things that 
one of the other things that I still do, but we also used a lot of publications and, you know, we would design them, write them. That was part of, there was like a whole section in our department that just handled all the public. And we produced like Master Gardener handbooks. They're really thorough. They're like, they're very, very thorough textbooks that leave. I don't know if they charge them or if they're part of the course. I would have to check. Really well made. Do you, like you spoke of your, your father finding a, a great interest in like the heirloom tomatoes. Uh, that's the thing I think a lot of people when it comes to gardening, they think they have to do like so much stuff. And I think it, like I tell people about cooking is like, find something you like, like find noodles that you like, and then you can make 8 billion kinds of noodles. And like, if you like stuff with sauce, there's basically four base sauces, and then you can make any sauce from that. Do you find that in your experiences with gardening, it's like, you need to find something that just interests you, and then you can go from there? Yeah, I would agree with that, especially we talked a little about that last time, especially just starting out. I think it's better if you kind of gear yourself for success. Like I got a little over ambitious last and I tried so hard to grow all this different kind of corn and my corn crop was a complete and total bust. And I tried to grow cotton and my cotton crop was even more of a bust. But even fava nasturtiums did amazing. You know, like those did great. I feel like if you can find a passion to and it doesn't have to even be one particular variety of crop. You know, combine crops, like a lot of these types that do really well in concert with each other. Like, what did they say that there's like corn, beans, and tomatoes? Is that the third one? I think so. Where if you plant them together, they all kind of help each other grow. But I do find some some aspect you're passionate about that you focus in on while you're getting your legs on. This sustainable living guy, I really love Australian. He talks about that a lot. He's like, you don't have to do everything all at once. You can just get started with something, get that going, get comfortable with that. And you can add in something more. And then you get comfortable with that and you can add in something else. And that's kind of the way I do stuff so I don't overwhelm myself. Yeah, it's basically with us. We, we've tried and we've had some success with like, like, uh, uh, like the cherry tomatoes and some peppers and stuff like that. But we've kind of just settled into more or less like doing herbs because it's yeah, it, like that's a really good point. I think herbs are an excellent starter, a lot of really hardy. There's a huge variety of them for whatever area someone could possibly be living in. It's an herb that's going to be perfect for their area. A lot of them are perennial, a lot of them are year round. Like rosemary, rosemary is a very yeah. I have one rosemary that started out as in a four-inch pot, and it's like five feet tall and five feet wide. I just keep it clipped down. And a lot of that stuff, uh, a lot of people don't get that you can make stuff and then freeze it with it. Like, you can make, like, your pestos and stuff like that and, like, freeze a lot of it. I did the ice cube thing, which so many people do, like, make pestos and have the ice cubes ready and stuff like that. It's it's like the more you get into it, the more you develop ways of using it. Yeah, one of my friends, her mother, a scientist, she grows. The first year I was friends with her mom, one of basil, and that was what they did exactly described, where they chopped it all up and made pesto, poured the pesto off ice cube trays, froze it, and then put the ice, put the pesto to Ziploc bags, and then whenever they wanted, just pull out. A, I did that with um, lemon juice one year, too. That was really handy. Yeah, I haven't actually thought about doing it with lemon juice. Does it freeze good? Yeah, it does. Because I ended up with like a whole... And my husband really likes lemonade, especially homemade, because he likes it to be on the tartar side. And commercial lemonades are really, really sweet. Yeah. 
And the ice cube thing was great because you can just count out how many ice you need for the amount of water or, you know, lemon, lemon juice cubes and just throw them in. And that goes on the thing I was talking about, how like a lot of people think like that it's, it's the failure thing. Like they think they're failing. And like we talked about before, like there's a process you go through and you will fail and you've got to find that the stuff that works for you. But I felt like you'd also find those ways that, that you use it. Like at first when I grow stuff, I'm like, what am I going to use this for the day to day? And then you start to develop ways of using it and, you know, making sauces and everything else that works for you. And after a while, it becomes an easier process of using it. That's something I think about a lot, too, because the first year my husband and I moved this house, I planted, it's like the only time I actually had a good tomato crop, but I planted Roma tomatoes, which are you know, like they're typically more of a sauce tomato and the plants went crazy. And I ended up with like buckets full of tomatoes. So we boiled them all down and made homemade ketchup out of them. And I was just, it's like, it's really, really good. It's not the same texture as store-bought ketchup. Like it's something you would like put on with a spoon more than squeeze out of a bottle. Yeah. But I was thinking about that a lot, how probably even 50 years ago, most people, if you wanted ketchup, they would just make it. And now it's just this condiment that everyone should get from the store. And I started thinking about how much of that is our day-to-day life, where so much stuff that not that long just made it and canned it and put it up on the shelf. Just don't even think about it. You go and get it from the store. Yeah. And that, and ketchup, from the, and that ketchup from the store has got a lot of sugar in it, too. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of thing. I don't blame either. People have been so exhausted and so ragged by our society. <laughs> you know, with like people not having time to do a lot of this stuff. And you can't really argue against factor. But if, I do think if, if you have the ability to make the time and start producing some of this stuff on your own, it is kind of weirdly liberating. Oh, it is. Like uh, even like uh, my girlfriend, she started doing the sprouts in, in the jars that you can do. Yeah. For like salads and smoothies and stuff and she does they grow pretty quickly and she just does them and she doesn't do them all the time she does them every so often because she gets in the mood sometimes of having them sometimes you don't like people do with stuff but it's it's just a cool little thing you see those things they grow so quickly and it's really good <laughs> yeah like when covid hit last year my brother and had surgery like two or three months before we all got packed off to go home for covid and sister, my sister was like really worried about him getting covid so we probably just so she was trying to minimize their trips to the store and stuff and i got her one of those sprouting it got to the point where i think she had like three jars going it's really easy you just you get one you know you get them started up on a staggered schedule and you have you have sprouts like the entire week and i think we touched on this a little bit last time and uh there's also like a, a guilt of you like wasting stuff, but that that's going to happen with the learning process. But even like you were talking about people being too busy sometimes and too overwhelmed to do certain stuff. It's even like me, like I love to cook, but I found myself in the past two years eating out way more than I should be. Yeah, same here. It's been very trying and i can imagine if you cook all day for a job it'd be kind of exhausting home and have to i think the thing about me doing it at home is well the worst thing is doing dishes but <laughs> that's where most people but uh when i do it at home it's like i would rather do short smaller things at home but like yeah sometimes you just don't feel like doing the same thing you do for a job but it's almost like 
you can talk like uh, we talk about the master gardener program like that the one thing i like about it is that it's something there for you to use as a resource yeah and, and for you it's to learn about things and i would encourage like people to check out the master gardener program i would encourage them to check out masters too one of my friends is a master preserver and holy crap do they teach some valuable stuff and canning and really to get started with Especially if people start out with jams and jellies because they have very high amount of acid. Don't have to worry about pressure canning with low acid foods like potatoes and like that. Yeah, I'm going to check that out because I've, I've been thinking seriously about work and home doing more canning because you get in those situations where you buy food or you have food, but then you end up eating out and then you, you'll feel bad if you waste stuff. So I want to get more into that myself. I know it, it's hard to control but you check out a lot of the time get canning supplies really expensive. Uh, do you do a lot of canning with your stuff? I use, that's one I really want to get. Thank you. you guys were, that's <laughs> one thing I want to get more this year where I used to. Like, I had a whole set of canning equipment that had gotten me for my birthday. And I did a ton of jams and jellies. And it was so much fun. Like, one that was super easy is wine jelly. Because it's really, really easy. You just get, like, a cup of wine. And then add the sugar and the pectin, and it sets really well. It makes nice gifts, and it it's got a really unique flavor. It tastes kind of like grape jelly, but with a kick to it. Oh. But it's like the commute that I was having to deal with for the past 14 kicked my ass, you know. And having something resembling free time again has been really liberating. Uh, when it comes to like people having busy schedules, like I said, like. Like we've settled on like herbs basically being the main thing we're growing right now. And we're looking for more like maybe preserving more stuff in the future to keep it from going bad and having less waste. What is the thing you found that's been like the one thing you can do that on um, uh, like when it comes to food items and stuff that either it's something you grow or something you learn how to save better that makes you feel better about that? It might sound weird, but compost. And I'm not even a good composter. Like, my dad is a scientific compost, you know, takes temperature readings, and he's got three different bins going at the same time. I just have a big pile behind my house that I throw stuff on, and it breaks down. But easy way to reclaim. You know, if you have stuff in your fridge that you just haven't gotten to, as long as it doesn't get an animal protein, you can throw it in your compost. And then that's something to reuse and repurpose in your yard pretty easily. And you don't even need to have those things. You don't need a ton of space. Like I know people who have compost bin, you know, if they're in small spaces, they don't have access to a big yard. Or instead of having a traditional compost bin, they do, uh, what's it called? Is it vermiculture? They have like a worm bin on their sink and they throw all the scraps in there. That sounds familiar. I don't sure. But when you got into composting, was that like a challenge for you? Not the way I do it, but I'm, like I said, I'm a lazy composter. We just got... I think the most I spent was like 10 bucks to get this big plastic ring with all of these holes so the air can pass through. And then I just throw stuff in there. And, you know, the chickens think it's great. They hop on in and scratch around, take stuff out. But for the most part, it's just sat on that side of my house. It never seems to go past a certain height. <laughs> we never seem to have to move it. It's been out there for 20 years at this point. I don't know. It just it oh. seems to break down pretty well. For people that don't understand like composting and they might ask like what's the purpose of it how would you explain it basically a way of taking all of your scraps and breaking them down into soil amendments that you can in your garden or in 
your garden. So like if you do it the right way, the way my dad does and keep it cooking, it breaks down pretty high new potting. Potting mix isn't the right word. Like it is, it's compost, Mm -hmm. but it breaks down pretty quick and use all that. So you're never really wasting anything. Like if you don't get to some food in time, oh, well, you're getting that G back one way or put it right back into the ground. How do you know when it's good, let's say, to use for, like, planting stuff or something like that? I think if I was going to be, like, a dedicated composter, I would definitely encourage to watch a tutorial because it's not that complicated, but you just want to make sure you do it right if you use it soon because you want it to be safe. So you do want the compost to hit, like, certain temperatures Mm -hmm. to destroy, I think it's destroy harmful but that's also what you don't ever want to put in animal protein. One of my friends ended up having botulism that got in soil and her entire flock of chickens. I had no idea that that could happen. Yeah, that reminds me of somebody once at a job I worked in a restaurant. They were like, oh, why can't our garbage, why, why is, because like, I don't know if you know, but like restaurants, their garbage cans can't be on grass. They have to be on concrete. Oh, wow. I mean, I've it, seen that, but I never put together why. Yeah, it's to keep it from seeping into the, the soil. And somebody sense. asked, like, well, it's just nothing but, like, like food. And I'm like, yeah, but some of that food is not going to be good if it gets into the soil when you got raw animal protein. You know, if yeah. it was, like, regular, like, vegetables and stuff, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But you got raw meats and stuff in there, too. Yeah, I mean, that was, like I said, I had never, it was possible to have your contaminated with botulism until my friend told me what had happened with them. And it was from, like, one time the chicken out in the compost heap, I think. And then, um, I think the other thing is I've seen, I've seen people who are able to compost, like, manure, but that's really, really dangerous. And you really, really have to do that stuff, so I don't mess with that at all. I have foster a good way to compost cat poop. Unfortunately, there isn't. And I have a house rabbit, so I make up for it with rabbit is really easy to compost because it's basically just processed grass. I make up for, like, with Pepper's um, fireplace pellets for litter. And when she's done with the box, it's pretty much broken down fireplace pellet that are broken down her urine and leftover hay her poop and just throw it straight into the compost. It does break down pretty well, but you have to with other stuff in the garden because there isn't that much green material in it. Like that's one of the big things my dad's always going on and on about with compost. The green stuff like grass clumps or leaves is what you need to drive the, the compost up. That's what it cooks. And that's, I think that is what puts nitrogen back into it. And then you use brown materials, which is I think what they call stuff like the, the wood pellet. And that also breaks down, but I think changes nutrient profile. So I usually try to amend it with some other stuff when I use it in the garden. Where somebody hasn't been around uh, compost type stuff, is that something you could do in like neighborhoods? Does it cause big smell or? It's weird. It can. Like I've seen some compost. Our compost has very little odor, but I also have the side of the house that is sort of the farthest from like my back door. But it very, very rarely any kind of odor. And I think, like, I think it's possible, but for the most part, I think a really good cooking compost doesn't stink too much. But again, it, and what the weather can uh, When you were talking about, like, having the right stuff in the compost heaps and stuff, and that leads my thinking to something I had to explain to people, because I work in a private school, and, like, 
and like a lot of schools and places, we have we have to only get our our, our produce and everything has to be from certain sources. And it's basically these sources say they have people watching and everything else. So even when we do a garden outside, we technically can't feed that to the kids, but the staff will take it and stuff like that. But we use it to show the kids. And I was wondering, like, when you do stuff like with your garden, which is a lot bigger than, let's say, like what I'm doing or some other people, how much work goes into, like, the knowledge of, like, just, like, what you feed it? Because if you go to stores, there's a lot of fertilizers and there's a lot of different water-based stuff you give plants and stuff like that. It's like, how much learning have you had to do just to do that? For me personally, I tried to away from fertilizer because I'm a dirty hippie. <laughs> and I also like the production, right? Yeah. So that's part of it. I decided, I mean, we didn't decide to get backyard. Our neighbor had some chicken. Some of them hopped the fence and decided to take over my backyard and ended up kind of just going. But that is I try to use them for is we try really hard to have a smallish blocks our yard so they're not destroying the grass you know it's not any bird in one area and chicken poop tends to solarize really quick and break down pretty fast compost really well it's a good for and then that was one of the we got these too is they their primary diet grass it's basic high nitrogen fertilizer so I, between them and the bunny i try to use that for my fertilizer and it used to be working pretty good so far and that was one of the, I shoved so much, um, so many fava beans around the place. So I'm trying to use nitrogen fixer to help amend the soil that way. One of those things I read about end up having fertilizer, the, where it's like the way people have changed their yard. Like back in the 50s, the average lawn was a 50-50 mix of grass plus other kinds. And one of the plants really common with lawn mixes was white clover. White clover is a nitrogen fixer. And was one of the ways that the lawn would be replenishing itself. But then the grass seed company started making more mixes where a lot of people ended up being entirely grass. And then what do they tell people to do? Like go through and you mow your lawn and then you throw the lawn clippings out instead of letting compost down on top. So you're basically moving all of from your yard and you end up having to replace it with artificial fertilizer. Well, now, it's like it's kind of like the whole reseeding thing, like when you you grow something and sometimes if it if it even doesn't produce a whole lot you can actually reseed from the stuff you're growing that's one really nice thing about getting heirlooms a total crap with hybrids like hybrids have their place to be really powerful been bred for been bred to be to grow diseases or pests but if it's a hybrid you try to grow a lot of times sterile or they throw back so one year my dad had a whole bunch of squash that came up a squash from this year but they threw back to type they threw back to so none of the gourds that grew were edible they were as hard as rocks you could barely even crack them open they looked really pretty but you couldn't eat and that's the nice the benefit of heirloom you get the exact same plant every time true from the now for people that don't know what heirlooms are can you give a little information on that sure uh, um it's basic a variety oh boy i hope i can do this right it's like basic varietal that had bred to where if if you grow the plant the whole way through and let it mature and then collect this and grow them you'll get the same plant the next it will grow the same quality of or vegetable okay and a lot of them have been a lot of them are fascinated about because they've been around for centuries and 
it's like varietals that have been around for so long and they're sort of they're what do they call it like performers you know but it's one of those things where it's a real easy rabbit hole to go down because you get used to going to the store and kind of seeing the same basic variety of different fruits and vegetables and then you get into heirloom stuff and it's like oh wow this whole there's a hundred variety zucchini and they're all kind of and they start getting really weird it's an easy it's an easy way to nerd out pretty <laughs> well that's what we're doing here just in this podcast to begin with <laughs> yeah like it was full of days after last time i got a cat because once you start ordering a cup from weirds you get catalogs from every weirds the entire country <laughs> and i got this one from someplace called and such and it's like when you were talking about how you like you know like how you blew those kids minds by showing them carrots that aren't that there's carrots that are blue or purple yeah and I was thinking you should get some of these seed catalogs because they are like that. So many varietals you can look through. Well, that's one of the things like I think could help with, and I ain't saying it's going to help with starvation or anything else, but can help get more food to neighborhoods or even people being able to grow them in different climates and everything else is we are fixated on food being one way, like carrots being this kind of carrots or uh, potatoes being this kind of potatoes or even tomatoes so like and a lot of those grow in different climates and different ways and everything like that so i think it that's one of the things i think as i've learned about the different varieties of different things is that like our minds are so focused in this country of like that's what a tomato is nothing else is a tomato but that so that's the only thing people buy or want to grow yeah i agree and i mean that's something about a lot i mean because let's face it the vast, we got used to having just a couple different varieties of different fruits and vegetables because those were the varieties that transported and looked good for the longest amount of time on supermarket shelf. And it's kind of, I think it's pretty common for gardener to always be talking about how store-bought tomatoes just tend to be terrible. They're usually picked green. They blast them with ethylene gas that makes them look red, even though they're not really ripe. And it's just like, well, there's a whole generation of kids that grew up thinking that's what a tomato is like. And what happened with the Red Delicious, where I have been able to try Red Delicious that are the original variety, and they are amazing great. They're not like that are at the store that have mostly been selected for appearance over taste. And I do think that's swinging back the other way. I think people are value flavors a lot more. Yeah, but I also live in a part of the country that has a ton of farmers that are year-round and easy to get to. So I know that Mike's is probably a lot different than people in other parts of the country. I know I'm spoiled. Well, it's like I don't ever like when I discuss because I know I'm spoiled a little bit. And like even the stuff I've learned through culinary school and like other means, when I try to teach like even kids or even other adults, they're like, well, you're just being like – like picky about foods or you're just being snobby and i'm like no it's a way of celebrate like these are foods that he has domesticated and grown for hundreds if not thousands of years they're a part of who we are as it's part of our history it's exciting it's like a way of exploring that yeah and that like one of my favorite things is fresh tomato sauce so like i love making fresh sauce for like spaghetti and stuff and like i I told people i was like if you've never had fresh tomato sauce, like it's so good. <laughs> like, oh man, it's so especially with homegrown with like fresh. Mm-hmm. My husband pizza, and he is very picky about his sauce recipe. But man, is it good! Like you won't adjust it at all. He says the way it is. 
but it's got a do it. Yeah, it tastes so good. And like whenever I get in discussions with people at work, I'm, I'm always telling them, it's like, hey, I like crappy food. I like instant foods. I like all that stuff. I grew up eating that stuff. Like I said, I get busy and I eat out and all this other stuff. But like it's just so good when you can get like something fresh made. And we all know that it is cheaper for families to go to a McDonald's and eat. Everybody knows that. Yeah. You can eat, eat for a year. But the point isn't. Like, we introduced at my job a couple years ago a set menus. And the reason why they did it was they wanted these kids to have at least one meal a day that they knew was healthy. But the problem was most of the stuff on these menus these kids have never seen in their life. Yeah. So these, kids, like, these kids had never seen a beat before, ever. Wow. Which so is like, kind of scary. Because yeah, it is. Such a basic, but, I mean, I believe it 100%. It's, it's kind of depressing. And it's been a process of trying to get, and I told him when we first did this, I was like, y'all need an element of this where we're teaching the parents because they don't know, obviously, either. a lot of them yeah. don't know. So we need to introduce these things. And like, I've even told kids with stuff like beets, I'm like, oh, look how red these are and stuff like, you know what I mean? And and I'm like, you can use these for dyes because that's what they used to originally use for dyes is like, like, like plants and vegetables and all this other stuff so like when it comes to stuff like that it's not like i'm saying like oh the kids have to eat all this stuff and not eat this other stuff it's like we need to educate them that there's different things out there that there's different things to eat and a lot of them they'll end up loving them we've we've had some kids that end up loving beets and the parents are like I don't know why they love these, but they love them. And it's like, because they, they were introduced something new. <laughs> I wonder if you could get a, like a small gardening at school, because that would aren't that hard to grow. And you can also grow Swiss chard, which is basically a beet that was instead of the root. Well, we, like I was talking about earlier, no, we, we have one and I might try to do beets, but we can't serve that food to the kids because oh, it, the- yeah, cause it's outside. So like, I get to show them how stuff looks when it's grown and how, and they garden on it. But then we have to like buy other stuff, which is what I do is like, I show them how to grow. Like I had them grow leeks. Oh, that's a great. Ch- yeah. They never had leeks before. So I had them grow leeks. And then I, I showed them all the foods that leeks can be in and stuff like that. And leek soup. So then we had to buy some leeks. <laughs> it's a weird kind of thing, but we had to buy some to make for them and they liked them. Man, leek soup is easy and it's good. I found um, a Julia Childs years ago for potato soup. It's four and so easy to make. And I highly recommend that one. Like, that's just a great, I think it's called, is it Potage Parmentier or something like that? It's really I, easy. I like to look it up. It's like water, potatoes, and butter. That's it. Those are all your Because I did, the reason why, and this is a weird thing. Have you ever seen the good, the show Good Neighbors, the British show? No, but... Uh, it's basically, about, it it's basically about uh, 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 some people and they're well-off people, of course, like, and they they end up making, like, one guy's a draftsman, so they end up having, they go self-sufficient, but in their neighborhood, their own neighborhood. So it's it's really interesting, but that's where I first heard about leeks, because there's an episode about them growing leeks and stuff like that. I didn't I mean, ever think I'd like it, but I loved it now. <laughs> 
I knew about him because my great uncle sent my sister and I back in the woods to go pick wildly. And we're like, okay, sure, we know where those. And then I figured out later what store-bought, you know, like the store-bought lease where they, I think you're supposed to mound the soil up around those it grows. And that's what gives it the long neck, right? I think so. Because the wildly, they're really round. They like onion. You know, they oh, don't. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're squattier. I thought, at first, I thought, is this like a lettuce? And then, because and then, like, I had no idea when I started growing it. I just looked up, like, you know, will these grow here and how to grow them and stuff. But, like, I, I didn't really have that much of a concept. And then when they grew, I looked up recipes and how to do them. I think that's a good cool seed crop, too, if people want something to eyeball to start growing the early. I think leeks are a good one. And a, another food that the kids ended up liking and the parents come to me over and over again saying, you know, they are asking for this now is lentil soup. We do a lentil soup and they love those. I've been curious. It's funny because that's one thing I've been to try. I don't I think I've made it harder in my head than it probably is in reality because i really uh, want to try cooking with lentils is it like cooking with beans or like do you just soak them overnight or do you cook them directly okay like the ones we get they're they're just dry and we get them like you know a big yeah. bag of dry ones That's and what I, but i've just so what for a while not quite sure where to start so what i do is when i get them like the night before i soak them in water regular water and and then the recipe I do for them is almost like a tomato vegetable soup, and then the lentils in it. So it's got carrots, and it's got tomatoes, and it's got uh, Ooh, good. Yeah, onions, and it's got uh, different stuff. If I have some other vegetables, I can put in there. I, I put celery in and, and different stuff, and the lentils are in there. And it's one of our vegetarian meals because we have to do like one a week. That's so a good that's because I know the lentils have a ton of protein. Yeah, they're 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 a good substitute for protein. They're not a one-on-one substitute, which most things aren't one-on-one for like meats and stuff. And it's that's something a lot of people don't know. Like like you know, broccoli is a huge protein substitute actually. Also, but you you have to look at it as like it's not a one-on-one. You have to eat more broccoli than you would have to eat like the same meat. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I could see that. I'm a vegetarian, but meat is pretty efficient proteins. Yeah. So, like, we have vegetarian kids and stuff that come in our program. So, like, when we do, that was one thing. Of course, I had to learn that, too, is I, I had to learn uh, that when you give a kid, you can't just give them, like, let's say, a cup of broccoli and say that's the same as a cup of, uh, you know, uh, chicken. Shredded chicken yeah. is not the same. You have to give them more than that. So, I started doing, like melodies of, of uh, vegetable proteins that would be better for them almost like salads or even little soups for them that would be like it would equal out more for them but with the lentils the lentils got quite a bit of protein the only problem with cooking them sometimes is they you gotta stir them because those things will just set on the bottom okay yeah that's what <laughs> i've been just about is how your heart are they like I just am afraid of having a big mush mass. It takes a lot, I think, to overcook okay. them. Uh, cool. Some people like them more mushy, and some people like a chew to them. I found most of the kids, and in my personal preferences, I like them where you, they have a little bit of bite to them. Yeah, that's what I prefer as well. It's, I don't, I don't really like them extremely mushy. But if you do the the night before pre-soak. And then, like, you make your soup and you can boil it and all that stuff. 
you yeah, stir it or those lentils will just sit at the bottom and you know of course they would burn and yeah and stuff but yeah you gotta get stir them pretty good in my experiences like with them but i found out a lot of the kids like them and and if you like more of a tomato soup and stuff like that like that's the recipe i usually use them for but i've heard people cooking them and putting them on top of salads cold and other Ooh. stuff like that kind of like people do with chickpeas where they put them on top of salads kind of like that that is one thing i love about making vegetables is they're really forgiving like pretty much all you need to do to make any kind of vegetable is get an onion and olive oil and garlic saute that and when that's all done they're nice and brown you dump in whatever your base is which it's hard to go wrong with any kind of tomato product, right? You just yep. dump in a cans of any sort of tomatoes, add a little water. You just, you can't go wrong with dumping in a bunch of like, like kale is really good. You don't even have to leave it in there if you don't want to eat it, but it lends really good flavor. And like you're saying, celery, celery is a really good choice. I used to call it just the, like the, because I would go through the fridge and whatever I had, like, oh, I have half a jar of just dump that in. I just go through the fridge and put everything in a pot until I balance the flavors out and just eat that. Yeah, that's one of my go-to things, like, when we don't get something in on our truck or stuff, is, like, I'll just put together a vegetable soup pretty quickly. <laughs> but, like, what with, like, when you talk about grabbing stuff to put it into that, when it comes to your growing and your eating, is that, like, a plan thing over both of them? Man, that's the dream, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's my dream for next year. This year, I didn't pull it off experimenting and trying things out, but I'm going to be brave and try growing again and really fail miserably. And I would really like to be able, I'd really like to be able to make some kind of tomato sauce. I don't care what, I don't care how much, I just want to make one batch of tomato sauce. It's been a really long time. I think the last time I tried, because you're right, nothing smells better than tomato sauce. But the last time I made it, 10 years ago, my dad and my stepmom had gone on and my husband and I were going over to their house to check on their cat and, you know, make sure everything was okay. And my dad had told me a big bunch of the Brandywine tomatoes be ripe while they were gone and to help myself. So I went and, like, we filled a trash bag full of tomatoes. And I started eating them. I was like, oh, man, they're so good. They're amazing. Nom, nom, nom. I get home. And I get a bunch of stove. And I start cooking them. Like, I'm going to make homemade spaghetti sauce. That's amazing. And I remember I was lying down on the floor reading a magazine, waiting to go back and stir. And I noticed the smell of tomato sauce. It wasn't so good anymore. And I'm like, man, I don't feel so good. And the smell kind of just started getting more and more nauseating. Finally, I went, I threw up. And later, my dad was like, well, those were high acid. Threw off the pH balance in your stomach. You ate too many of them. Yeah. And it screwed me up for the whole rest of because once you throw something up, your body really does not want to eat it again. For, so oh. that was pretty much all the tomatoes I was able to have for that one. It took another year before I could stand eating them again. Damn it. <laughs> and tomato sauces aren't really difficult. Like, and you no, can do they're just, they're, it's one of those things where it's like two ingredients, right? It's tomatoes, water, and then whatever spices or herbs you to flavor them. Yeah. And it's hard to go wrong with tomatoes and basil. It's a classic and tomatoes and basil and olive oil. Yeah, I've taught people. Onions and garlic. Yeah, I've taught people how to do marinara sauce. They think it's complicated, and I'm like, it's really not. It's the kind of thing that sounds like it's complicated, right? It sounds, yeah. it just sounds intimidating. And then you're right, you sit and you make it, and you're like, oh, that's not such a big I think a lot of the thing with sauces, cooking them long enough so they're not really watery. And that takes a long time, depending on what the water content tomatoes that you're a, a friend of mine who's a chef uh, a couple years ago 
uh, I was telling her because we, like I mentioned, we have a lot of kids with allergies, so I was always having to make a sauce for them because they couldn't have ones that we were already using. And she taught me, like, there's basically four base sauces, and I always have to look these up before I use them. I'm a person that looks up the recipe almost every time I do something. <laughs> me too. I'm the same way. I just double check. Yeah, she taught me, like, these four base sauces, and 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 once you learn those, you can build off them. And you can look online, like, uh, the four base sauces and stuff like that. And it's kind of like you build upon them and it's kind of like that with soups the different kind of soups you build upon them like if you want to use a stock in your soup and you just build that up from that and you can keep those base ones separate and like and then when you want to make a sauce let's say keep a base spaghetti sauce and you want to make a mushroom and garlic one you just get that out and you put the mushrooms and garlic in in there that you might cook separately with uh and then put it in with it and then you got a mushroom and garlic one and like once you learn those bases you can build upon them and it makes it a whole lot easier and once you can do that i think like you you can run with that in so many directions man i hope so because one of the things i want to do winter is i want to make my own vegetarian ramen base i don't quite have it where i want like i have and i've put it together a couple of times but i just don't quite have I want it to taste as good as the stuff at the restaurant I go to. You know what I mean? So you're talking about like a ramen bowl with like normally it might have like duck or something in it. I think, well, like a lot of the ramen, the the broth bases are heavily, like a lot of them have a or fish. And there's a restaurant not that far from where I live in Roseville called Umesui. And they have a vegan ramen broth that's all mushroom it tastes incredible i think it i think it's mushroom and white miso or something like that and that's kind of my that's kind of what i want to try to figure out how to make i know i've had one before but i i can't remember anything about what i thought was in them but i know you they keep they make them (laughs) i know i'm just and i want to just trying to do it the hard way on myself like i just want to be able to make it and have it taste that good they use straw mushrooms, and I think I think however they are cooking the mushroom there is I think what gives the broth really good meaty flavor. The I don't know the first my first attempt was not great. Usually my first attempt at cooking anything is not great. <laughs> okay, I don't feel <laughs> like damn it, this just isn't quite right. And like you and like where I'm cooking for lots of people, like I always have to tell people this food isn't going to taste the same as when you cook it for four people. Because you're cooking it for 400 people or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Man, I can't even imagine trying to cook on that level either. It's hard enough just trying to cook enough in a crock pot. For, and I mostly end up the one eating soup experiments too because my husband doesn't really like He's not a soup eater. I mean, I, I learned that's how I learned the fact that you can have eggs that are green and it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means when you cook a huge amount of them in a big pot, if the temperature gets to a certain level, it will actually turn eggs green if you're, like, scrambling them. I know. I mean, that's happened to me a couple of I tried to make another like another side project. I'm trying to make um, Chinese-style tea eggs, and my first attempt on those was not good because I cooked them way too long. I figured out later that I need and then marinate them. Oh. But I was like, I can cook them and marinate at the same time. This will <laughs> work great. And then all my hard-boiled eggs came out green and... They kind of end up with more of a sulfur flavor as pleasant. I they mean, do. They're, edible, they're not going to kill you or anything, but they don't taste as good. I found that out when we first went to scrambled eggs at my work, and 
we have to make like basically this big tilt pan it's huge thing and the eggs like turned green one day and, and somebody was like they're bad and I, I had to look it up and I was like no they're not actually bad it just means they they're actually hitting too high of a temperature which turns on green it is weird though the first time you see it because it's not like most of the time if it's green you know not to eat it it does kind of throw your expectation and it also ha- happens more from what I understand with carton eggs than than like uh fresh freshly broken eggs oh. I could see that because I know, yeah, I could older eggs susceptible to that. But now we have to use fresh eggs, so I that's a lot of cracking eggs, and I still can't do it like people do on TV. Oh, with the one-handed? Yeah. <laughs> that's one fun thing. My one goose turned out to be a lady goose, thank God, and she started laying last week. And I was reading that goose eggs are supposed to be really good to bake with. I think they have a different level of protein or a different level of fat or something than chicken eggs. So I'm going to give them to my stepmother, who's basically, she's a master baker. I mean, she's really, really good because I feel like I don't gave these eggs and I tried them. I probably would have a difference, but I feel someone like her would know a difference. So I'm going to take the first three over there and see. Well, I'm not a huge baker myself, and a lot of people don't understand that baking and cooking is two different things. Like Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm not a baker rigid. As long as you follow the rules exactly, everything turns out fine. But baking is basically chemistry. Yeah, it is. Baking is a strict science, really. Like, But a friend told me about, you were talking about the different flavors and different uh, uses of eggs. She was telling me that watching never... She didn't say you couldn't do it, but you got to do it a different way, like using duck eggs with, like, like try to make recipes with them. I've heard duck eggs are good to cook with as well. Like, for the same the same things people said about eggs, I've heard about duck eggs, that it has, like, a higher level in your fat or something. They cook different than chicken eggs. I haven't really, like, ate meat. I think I've ate duck eggs a couple of times in my life. I don't think I've eaten them a lot. I've tried them, and I know there's people who are like, ew, it's a duck egg. Basically, I think they're crap. I, I think they're pretty. And I think an egg is basically an egg. It's just bigger or smaller. I'm kind of weird like that with mushrooms. Like, I've gotten really expensive mushrooms, and I really don't tell much difference between them. I like those trumpet mushrooms. Like, my husband and I tried one of the fake pork once where you the king trumpet mushroom. You shred them with a fork lengthwise, mm. and then you cook them in a crock pot with a whatever kind of jerk pork sauce you would like and i'm i don't think the texture is exactly like but it comes out pretty good it's taste you know you can make sandwiches and stuff out of them i had to and try that least, I think it's fun i i tried the dragon fruit using that it's like a pulled pork substitute okay that's weird i love dragon fruit. they get them in they get them in seasonally at the local Asian market, and I grab them whenever I... I did not know to turn them into a pulled pork substitute. So are you using the, from the inside or the skin or... Uh, yeah, like, it's from the inside. Fruit? You know how the fruit in the inside, can, you can almost peel it in layers? Yeah. It almost like, it's almost like that string tea. Like, you can almost peel it in layers. So that's supposed to be the main thing. It makes it almost like, like a pulled oh. pork. I think if you buy buy it in the packets in like the the vegan or vegetarian sections i think those packets have too much water in them and i don't think they work as good i've eaten it at a couple places more fresh it tastes a little bit better doing it that way with the barbecue sauce and stuff 
That's so weird. I would never have thought of trying that. I'll have to check it out because I love dragon. I don't know. A lot of my kids, they don't eat enough, but to me, it kind of tastes like it crossed a watermelon. It's got like a really subtle, mild taste, but I love the flavor and the texture of it. And it's like, it's such a crisp, it's kind of watermelon texture. I wouldn't have thought that you pair it like that. I think it's one of those things like, I think I have two theories like that I think hurts most vegetarian cooking. One is they want to make it taste like meat products, which I, I think is actually a mistake because people get turned off when it doesn't. I agree. And I think the other problem with some vegetarian cooking is the people who are, who are doing it, they want to they wanna make it more appealing to people. And then they say that like anybody can do this. I think vegetarian cooking, you can make really great food and tons of it out there. It is hard to do. Because you don't have that that big kick of what, what we talked about with proteins and stuff. You also don't have the big kick of a lot of fats and, like, sugars and stuff, salts that you get with a lot of meats. Yeah, so, that's true. So, so to get those textures and everything together, it's harder. Like, I don't think it benefits vegetarian and vegan cooking to say it's easier or easy. It's not. It's hard to do it. You can do it right and... Don't make the mistake of a lot of people doing where they just throw a lot of barbecue sauce or hot sauces on stuff and they say, well, this is a vegetarian dish for meat eaters. It's like, no, you're just throwing sauce on stuff. Yeah, I feel like that sets people up to fail a lot, too, because I agree. I think it's a mistake for I I think it's kind of a mistake to present vegetarian, especially to meat eaters, be like, look, it tastes exactly the same. Because most of the time it doesn't. I grew up eating meat. I know what it's supposed to taste like. I will say a lot of impossible burger type stuff. That is the closest I have had something that tastes like real hamburger since I stopped eating. They're really good. But a lot of the other, they don't taste bad. They just taste different. I think if yep. you go in with reasonable expectations where it's like, hey, this is exactly like fried chicken, but it also tastes good. Like one of the real recipes that my husband and I used to do was we would get a bunch of tofu, squeeze all the water out of it. You like put it in a rag and use it to get as much of the water out as possible. And then you fry it. And I mean like deep frying make things better. So we deep fry it and go to the Asian. We'd be able to get this vegetarian. It's basically fake chicken bouillon. It doesn't have any animal ingredients, but it does taste like chicken and sprinkle that on top. And then put the fried tofu in um, sandwich buns with mayonnaise. It may not taste exactly, it doesn't taste exactly like a fried chicken sandwich. It still tastes really good. Well, like with tofu, like a lot of people, like at my job when we would make stuff for uh, allergy kids or kids that couldn't have meat, they would just cut tofu and put it in stuff. And I'm like, no, you got to do stuff to it. Like, like my my, I don't, I'm not an expert in cooking tofu, and I know a lot of people know a lot more, but my biggest thing was to cut it thin and season it, and then you can make sandwiches and stuff with it and stuff. If you just give somebody a chunk of tofu, most people aren't going to like it. <laughs> yeah, like, I think tofu is an unfairly maligned. It's not, I mean, it's great. What makes it great is it has so much flexibility. But it depends on what you're doing with it. I mean, the whole point is really bland by itself. It absorbs flavor of whatever you put with it. You kind of have to just plan ahead with that. Yeah, like, I, mean, I think one of the most basic tofu preparations is probably, what, miso soup. And even yeah. that, 
miso flavor is the overwhelming flavor. You're not just tasting blah tofu. It tastes like miso and the broth. Yeah, uh, I, that's a, the thing. Like when it comes to, I think vegetarian vegan food period is like a lot of people think one they they think it's something weird about it and i'm like well most of your sides you're eating at a dinner is vegetarian you know <laughs> like your sides you're eating a lot of times are vegetarian and i know a lot of stuff has fat in it and stuff like that but i mean basic sides like you're having vegetarians you're eating some carrots you're eating this you're talking about a main dish you just make something bigger for your main dish or your primary dish and then you get a vegetarian dish like there's a lot of like like the whole theme of this episode was like education that has to be done with like those vegetarian dishes and vegan dishes to make it easier i found that most people still don't understand that that there's a difference between a vegetarian and a vegan yeah and I mean, I was for like, then I was just back by the siren song of dairy. <laughs> but even a lot of vegetarians don't know the difference between vegetarians and vegans. Yeah, and like, it doesn't help that a lot of you kind of have a holier than thou attitude. Like, I tried very hard to not be an asshole about all. Like, I don't expect anyone else to be vegetarian or vegan. It's just something that I do. For me personally, I don't expect anyone. I know my thing is I'm just eating heart. And I had one of those long nights of the soul where I was like, well, I don't like how the, you know, the commercial meat industry is run in this country. But let's face it. If you give me a calf or a, a bird or it's going to have a name and be a pet by the end of the day, I'm never going to be able to, to kill it. So I was like, well, if you can't bring yourself to your dirty work, then what is your justification being able to eat this stuff anymore? So I made it so, like basically if I can kill it, I can. So I love basically fancy plants. I'm pretty sure I could kill and I I can kill an oyster or a mussel if I have to. And I cheat on fish every now and then, which I feel bad because I know you feel pain and they're smarter than people give them credit for. But God damn it, they taste so good. <laughs> I try to make it a special thing, not an all the time. Yeah. I mean, and I think people get too hung up on the idea of being perfect. What do you call it? Where it's almost purity complex. It's and like, then when and when you don't do it perfectly, you feel like you failed. Yeah. And the reality is, even if it swaps out a couple of meats a week with a vegetarian alternative, they're still helping. I'm not going to knock someone for that. I mean, even at my job, like I said, we started doing with our new menus one vegetarian dish every week and i the kids didn't like it at first but they've gotten used to it since then uh yeah, i don't like it but... just not being introduced to stuff like i just i feel lucky that my tried very hard to introduce my sister and i to a lot of different types of end of view more as an adventure something where you always want to be if you get a chance to try something new well then try it you might like it hate it you might love it you try it and i feel like a lot of kids are that way where they may not like something the first time but it's not that it tastes bad it's just very even at my job there's this one teenage girl who who everybody keeps calling a vegetarian because she doesn't like meat. She eats meat. She just doesn't like it a lot. Yeah, and I mean, man, don't get me wrong. When I was a kid, every year my relative would have this giant pig roast. We would get like a whole pig and cook it all day long. Oh my God, if I smell, I don't eat pork anymore, but if I smell that, it's instant mouth watering. But my grandma could not make 
pot roast to save her life. And to this day, oh God, any man that chewy, just sitting there chewing the same meat for like five minutes, your jaw was so stringy. So There's the rest different ways of being cut to me. I don't believe it. Hey, my grandma used to like kill chickens and like when I was little and it was like a machine, her doing it. Yeah, my grandma was an amazing cook. Don't get me wrong. I mean, oh my God, her fried chicken was incredible. And amazing, amazing cook. The only thing she couldn't do was like pork chops and rice. Mm. And pot roast was kind of a crap, like I said, but most. But from a generation was really concerned about, is it trickets? Is that it? That parasite that you can get from undercooked pork. So that was the way that you raised was that you cooked the pork to death. You made sure that was like shoe leather by the time you were done with it. Well, yeah, like a lot of people, when you eat pork out, like, like let's say like deli meat a lot of people are are still to this day like it freaks them out because of when like when we first found out about like stomach parasites from meat i mean like pork and stuff like that i don't know if you know this but in the past two years they've actually lowered the temperature that pork has to cook at so yeah it's commercially like they've lowered it a little bit and like I'm like, still most people were going to cook that stuff until it's cooked. <laughs> well, it was, it was like when I found out that you go get a slab of salmon, use that for for sushi that you need to have. They specially prepare yep. fish for sushi. So what is it? It's like flash frozen or thing. So if it has any parasites, they're all killed. Well, the thing about like, and I've told people this at my job before that talked about sushi and stuff like that. And they're like, well, we're going to have friends over and we're going to do sushi. Like, what should I do? And I was like, you you have to buy a certain kind of salmon. It's actually, and depending on which state you're in, seafood is actually a really complicated thing. Like, they have special tags for different seafoods and everything to make sure the dates are right on. But with salmon, in most states, there's a grading system. And this salmon... It's not only graded on quality, but of how long it, it went from the water to wherever you're buying it. Oh, wow. So there's a different grading system from that. Because, like, I think even, and, and like I said, like, where I work, we don't do seafood except for, I do salmon patties for the kids right now. Ours come in frozen. Uh, but, like, in some places that do seafood stuff, they can only get it from, like, the coast that they're on because like it will not it has to be there within a certain amount of time and if you buy it too far away it won't be in there a certain amount of time to be used as like uh like for sushi and stuff like that and that's true of a lot of fish and stuff and the flash freezing thing as far as i i know it's like with the vegetables how they can flat fast freeze it it can actually keep all the nutrients in it so it's not yeah. like it's not like regular frozen. It almost no. Just, it's not it, something that's just in there. Yeah. So like. I mean, oh, yeah. sorry. Go on. Uh, so like when I I've learned about like with the salmon and and doing the sushi thing, like I I think I told you last time I'm I'm a little bit wary about eating fish right now because everybody knows you can't freeze fish and then thaw fish and then freeze it and eat it or what it can't go you can't do that. So, like, most places you go in, they'll say never been frozen, and I just wonder about it with everything going on right now. Has it truly never been frozen? Yeah. I mean, if people want to experiment with sushi at home, too, there's a lot of vegetation that is pretty, you know, you can make, like, veggie tempura and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean. I feel like a lot of that would probably be good for beginners, especially because making your own sushi is really hard. 
Like you need to get the shoe rice, you need the right way, you need to have the little fan, you need to have all the tools and stuff to make this. And even if you have all, it's not that easy. You know, it takes a little while to get the skill to like cut through, to prepare the nori and cut through it thinly. So like my first attempt at it was a giant nightmare. It was a total disaster. I got the, I got the rice going and then I just couldn't quite get the knack. I, like I would wrap it, but I just didn't quite get the knack of cutting nori. Clean. It's 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 such a skill, and like like I've tried to do it at home too, and it ends up being a mess. Like the seaweed, and it just ends up being more balls of stuff than like actually sushi rolls. I know, and I don't know if maybe I need a sharper knife or just to give it another try. Maybe I need to moisten the nori with some water first. I think um, that, one of these days I'll probably try again. I think you do have to use water, like some water down. with it. If I ain't mistaken. But not a light, not a sound. Do you have anything else to close out with for like people who are thinking about uh, looking further into the Master Gardener program? I would just encourage them to check whatever they should have a Master Gardener program state and just to check in with them and see what kind of classes they offer and what the schedule looks like. From everything I've ever dealt with, it's nice people who are just giant plant nerds who want to share their love. They're not going to come and be all judgy. They just want to share their plant love. And on this podcast, we're sharing our nerdy about foods and plants and everything. We hope you enjoyed this Tin Universe production. The voice of Tin Universe is Stacy Taylor. Then my fear began to ease. From far away whispered a breeze. For ebooks, webcomics, short films and more, head over to tinuniverse.blogspot.com.